If you're in business, there are certain signs that your company is in trouble. A big one, your CEO abruptly resigns. We are coming on the air right now because Pope Benedict XVI is resigning on... It is especially worrisome if this is the first time this has happened to your company in almost 600 years. Pope Gregory, the last pope to resign in 1415, the leader of the world's more than one billion Catholics. Another sign all is not well? A few of your subsidiaries declare bankruptcy. Milwaukee's archdiocese is filing for bankruptcy. The move comes as the archdiocese faces numerous lawsuits over pre-sex abuse. We uh, do have and then there's that. There is nothing worse than having your employees face criminal charges. Evidence of a corporate cover-up, it is hard for anyone to recover from that. We've had um, six years for an apology. And two years later now we're talking about repentance. But uh, we're not hearing repentance from the Vatican. The Catholic Church is not a business. It's a religion, a global force, a cultural power. But one of the things the new pope is going to have to deal with is a classic business mess, a multi-billion dollar conglomerate that has stumbled and is losing money and relevance. You know, the Catholic Church needs an economic makeover, and there's no better time than right now. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Caitlin Kenny, And I'm Robert Smith. On the show today, we are going to do for the church what any corporation in trouble does. We're going to bring in the consultants. We've assembled a bunch of experts in management, strategy, economics, and of course, Catholicism. And they pointed out some big flaws in the way the church does business. They have suggestions for the new pope if he wants the Catholic church to survive another 2,000 years. Let me just say up front that we are not here to make over the Catholic Church as a religion. We're really interested in the Catholic Church as a business entity because they face some classic challenges that are the same any large global corporation would face. They've been around for a long time. They're set in their ways. But they've had some of their market share eroded by these young upstarts, you know, the Muslims and the Mormons. It's hard enough for a company that's been around 100 years. I mean, think of the recent management challenges for Ford or IBM. The Catholic Church has been doing business for two millennia, and that's a lot of history. But when you think about it a certain way, the story of the Catholic Church is this slow-motion version of a business story that, you know, we've reported on many times before. The Catholic Church is a little startup that could. It began with one man with the vision. But Jesus wasn't much of a business guy. So he brought in a manager. Well, a fisherman with management potential. Before Jesus died, he said to Peter, he said, you know, you are Peter and upon you I will build my church. This is Father Tom Doyle, a priest with the Congregation of the Holy Cross. To extend the business metaphor, Peter was basically the first chief executive of the Catholic Church. And he faced a bunch of basic startup problems. The early church had entrenched competition. Paganism, Judaism. Yeah, and they didn't have any money or infrastructure. The church's early founder's strategy was this, this will sound familiar, Give the product away for free, build up an audience, get as many eyeballs for your message as possible. And the hope, and anyone in Silicon Valley can appreciate this hope, if you make something cool and enough people like it, the money will come. As they're going out and taking the good news, they were taking it to the poor, but also to uh, the merchants and people who had resources. And um, um, in that sense, there were angel investors, people who parted with their own means for the good and the good work that the church was doing. 
It took a couple hundred years of struggling before the early Catholics got their big break, a sweet government contract. Constantine the Great converted to Christianity. And they were off. The Catholic Church became the state religion. Money started to flow in. Of course, it took a while. A couple thousand years. Yes. But the Catholic Church eventually became as popular as, well, a more recent startup, Facebook. The Catholic Church has 1.2 billion members today. That's almost 2,000 years of, a, of an annual growth rate of 1%. You know, and that's pretty long and, you know, average pretty incredible growth. And that is a very short and very simplified version of the history. Thank you very much, Father Doyle. Of course, the Catholic Church has been hitting some headwinds recently. We already mentioned a few of the problems at the beginning of the show. But attendance at Mass is dropping in the U.S. and Europe. Other religions are growing faster. So now, with the changing of the guard at the Vatican, a new pope coming in, this is exactly the time where the new guy would bring in some consultants, try to shake things up. And it turns out there's already a whole Catholic consulting industry. There's groups that do this, Catholic schools of management, business advisors. They've thought a lot about this, and of course they've encountered some pushback. Carrie Robinson is the executive director of the National Leadership Roundtable on Church Management. Her group offers training to church leaders, and they also think that people who aren't ordained, lay people, should play a bigger role in the church. Bishops and cardinals will say to us that the church is it's unique because of its divine religious mission. And we know that it is unique and not like a corporation such as Microsoft or Home Depot, but it is comprised of people, facilities, and finances, and they have to be managed at the highest levels of ethics, accountability, transparency, and excellence. All right. Robinson says the church is comprised of three things, people, facilities, and finances. So let's go through them now. We have our management consultant clipboards ready. We got our stopwatches. Let's take a stroll through the Catholic factory floor. First rule of business, focus on where your customers are. Unfortunately, the church in this time period has a real uh, misallocation of its resources. Chuck Zeck is an economics professor and director of the Center for the Study of Church Management at Villanova University. And by resources, he basically means priests. They aren't where they need to be. Most of the Catholics, about two-thirds, and most of the growth in Catholics uh, is occurring in Latin America or Asia or uh, Africa. They only have, though, about one-third of the priests. So most of the priests and most of the facilities, the churches and so on, are located in areas like North America or Western Europe uh, where the church is not growing. And so we have resources in one area, but the growth in the church in a different area. Right. And if the church was a business, that's something they would look at and say, oh, wait, all of our customers are over here. You know, let's let's build some more stores there. Let's send some more employees there. Uh, you're right. If this were a business, there'd be no question that they would resource would be shifted. They would be hiring the best and the brightest. You know, they would double the staff at the new Myanmar office or something like that. But but this is where things get sticky for the Catholic Church specifically. There isn't enough of their basic resource. There are not enough priests. Jim Post is a professor of management at Boston University. There is a shortage of priests, and the priests, uh, the countries in which priests are, uh, more men are becoming priests, are not the countries where the demand is greatest. Jim Post is not just a management expert. He's also founder of The Voice of the Faithful, a progressive Catholic organization. And so he has some outside-the-box thinking on where to find those new priests. 
the church has one vast, untapped resource. In a country where more than 50% of the population are women, um, in a church where more than 50% by far um, of churchgoers are women, um, uh, women are crying out for an expanded role in the, um, in the life of the church. All right, you got a problem? You don't have enough people to do this job? Let women do it? Let married men do it? Will that happen? Not in my lifetime, I would say. And um, uh, I don't, I don't, I think married men may have, um, may have a possibility. It seems as though that would be sort of closer to the, uh, on the, to the front burner. It would surprise me, however, if the church were quick to embrace all of that. Um, at the end of the day, I think the church and the papacy uh, remain very conservative institutions, um, trying hard to preserve the best of the past while also trying to adapt to the future. But um, I think the weight of that rests heavily on preserving the traditions of the past. And you can hear there the peculiar problem that a consultant faces when advising a church rather than a business. Management theory says you should go in this direction, and God says maybe you should go in this direction, or at least your interpretation of God's will. Now, our consultants say you have to walk this line very carefully when it comes to religion. You have to stay true to the mission. Okay, but we're in brainstorm mode here. There's no bad ideas. Let's do it. Other big solutions to this global resource allocation problem? Why doesn't the Pope just come in and say, hey, New York City, you got too many priests. You got plenty of money. Let's send some down to that office we have over in Asia, to our growth sector. Yeah, well, the Pope may speak to God, may inspire the faithful, but he doesn't have the same financial power of most CEOs. Chuck Zeck from Villanova says the organization is just set up differently. On matters of faith and morals, the church is very centralized, very hierarchical. But on the temporal issues of finances and and actually running the day-to-day operation, uh, the church is is very um, independent. In other words, the money does not all flow through the Vatican. The money is not all controlled by the Pope. Don't think of the Catholic Church as this big central operation like Microsoft or General Motors. Think of it as a conglomerate with lots of little independent operators. Chuck Zeck says it's almost like a franchise model. In the Catholic Church, each individual operator, each franchise, called the diocese, which is basically a name for a geographic area with a bunch of churches in it. They're run by the bishops. And the bishops, they collect money from all the churches in the diocese, and they make their own budgets. They basically run their own show. And this model, according to the consultants, this is another management challenge the next pope will have to confront. Because... Having all these independent operators, I mean, it may be the way things have always been done in the church. It may have been really useful when communications between Rome and the Americas took months to happen. But right now, it is wasteful. For a modern corporation, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, every diocese has to find their own suppliers for coffee. They have to go out and buy their own printer paper. Let's just imagine that collectively in the United States, we worked to, um, we, we availed ourselves of economy of scale and we bid out to various vendors to get the best price for something that everyone in the Catholic Church utilizes. This is Carrie Robinson again from the National Leadership Roundtable on Church Management. Think about it. When a Dunkin' Donuts franchise needs new straws or sugar, they don't just go down the street to the supermarket. 
Dunkin' Donuts has a central supplier. They have huge buying power. They buy so many straws and so many sugar packets that they get to bargain. They get a good price because everybody wants to be their supplier. And Carrie says the same thing could go for the Catholic Church. Now, forget about the rest of the world. Forget about the global organization of the Catholic Church. Just the United States alone. She says if you add up the annual budget of every Catholic hospital, every university, every diocese, every parish, the budget is over $105 billion a year. Now, she says, imagine they all got together to buy the things they need, computers, furniture, supplies for the hospitals, all the way down to the church pews and the holy wine. They would have huge buying power, and they could save a ton of money. This other group, the Apollo Philanthropy Group, they did the math. They say buying things together, joint procurement, as they call it, could save the church as much as 10 percent of its annual budget. If we carried that out systematically for the church, we could save as much as $8 billion a year. So the church is uh, missing out on purchasing power, procurement, economy of scale. All right. Now the consultants are on a roll. They're focusing the Catholic Church on growth sectors, saving money through centralization. But... In the big scheme of things, this is pretty small potatoes, low-hanging fruit, as they say in the consultant business. The biggest business challenge to the Catholic Church is the erosion of the brand. Now, churches grow on trust, and in the Catholic Church, trust is in short supply these days. The brand problems start at the smallest level of something really simple that happens in church. The collection basket comes around, parishioners feel moved, feel responsible for the church, and they put some money in the basket. That basically makes them kind of like an investor in the church. But Jim Post says as investors, they get almost no reporting back about how that money gets spent. If they put their money into, let's say, a collection for um, a disaster relief uh, program, and then it's discovered that only 5% of that money actually goes to disaster relief, and the other 95% is used for other purposes, siphoned off to other things— um, certainly the donors have a right to feel that they've been taken. Um, and without systematic uh, accounting and disclosure, um, there's enough doubt these days about how money is being managed that we don't know whether the hungry are being fed and the naked are being clothed and the uh, those in need are getting health care and education. This is a common complaint among our consultants when they want to help the Catholic Church It's really hard for them. And I mean, these are people who actually talk with church leaders, but it's still really hard for them to get the most basic information about revenues and expenses, even at the local level. A few dioceses do put their budgets up online, but most do not. And where there is darkness, there are people who will take advantage of this. When financial controls are are not visible and they're not enforced, um, you almost can guarantee that there will be that there will be um, um, misallocation of money um, and perhaps even worse than that. There certainly are too many examples of of um, individuals, um, some ordained, some not, who have walked off with money from various Catholic churches. Um, so how do we correct that? You have to have a system of accountability, and I think that involves transparent financial reporting back to the donor to the donor community. Robert Zeck, who we heard from earlier with Villanova, he and a fellow colleague have studied this issue. They did a survey a couple of years ago where they talked to church leaders about their finances, and they found that about 
85% of Roman Catholic dioceses that responded to their survey had embezzlement problems. More than 10% of them had had more than $500,000 stolen in the last five years. Now, for most of the church's history, people relied on faith, faith in their church leaders to spend the money like they said they were going to spend the money. They didn't need detailed financial statements. But, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, recently there's been a lot of trust problems with the Catholic Church. And so this lack of transparency, which is a problem in financial matters, it becomes a much worse problem than embezzlement when you talk about some of the issues that have come up recently in the Catholic Church. I'm referring to the child sex abuse scandal, which has devastated a lot of the Catholic Church in America. And it's really pushing people there to reevaluate the whole transparency issue, which is exactly what does the church tell its members about what it's doing and why it's doing it? Father Tom Doyle, who gave us our Catholic history lesson, he says transparency is a real issue. He says he was in Boston while the clergy sex abuse scandal was going on, and the church didn't do the best job of communicating what was happening in the church. There was even problems in communication amongst the priests. But Father Tom's also got a Harvard MBA, and he spent a couple of years working for Deloitte & Touche, the big consulting firm. He says for a challenge this large, the business advice is the same for the church as it would be for a corporation. How do you get trust back? You earn it. You have to earn it, right? And so we're going to have to err on the side of being more transparent about things than we, we have in the past. And so to sum up the advice our consultants have for the new pope as he comes in in the next few months, number one, think globally, allocate your resources properly. Number two, Use your purchasing power. Act like one church if you're going to be one church. And number three, the transparency issue. And, and this is where our consultants say, believe it or not, the Catholic Church can learn something from public corporations. They have auditing processes. They report back to their investors. They have people come in and they lay open their books for the people who have given them money. Now, that doesn't mean corporations don't do something wrong, but it does mean we generally find out about it and then... You know, whoever the CEO is, can make sure the heads roll. Our corporations, I say, that openness, something the Catholic Church should embrace. As always, we want to know what you thought of today's show. You can email us, planetmoney at npr.org. Or find us online at npr.org slash money. And we're particularly interested in the business of religion. As maybe you can tell, Caitlin and I did a show last year about tithing in the Mormon church. We have this show about Catholicism. And then next week, if all goes according to plan, next week, Adam Davidson and myself will bring you a show about the Amish and about Amish business ways. I'm Robert Smith. I'm Caitlin Kenny. Thanks for listening. Because of all the things that I bring with me, me. Only G-O-D could be a king to me. And if the G-O-D be in me, then a king I'd be. The microphone is granted when it's handed to me. I was planted on this planet and I plan to MC. The MC themes only seem to agree that I rock of the world and the society. I rage on the stages with a tuna verse. I give praises from these stages to the universe. My voice is raw, my lyrics is law. I keep it hardcore like you never saw your wanna be.